The MMA on the Rocks podcast is intended for adult audiences. If you are not an adult, please do not let your parents know you're listening to this, and don't repeat anything you hear on this show in front of them. Also a reminder that even if you fight recklessly, please drink responsibly. Now that we have all that covered, let's start the show. Welcome to MMA on the Rocks. My name is Bill Welker. You are listening to episode 291 of the podcast. Unless you're joining live on Facebook, Twitter, or YouTube. Today's Sunday, September the 4th. We're one day removed from a historic event in MMA history. The first UFC event in the country of France, UFC Paris. It was an excellent night of fights. Uh, obviously, a lot of history there. I can remember 10 years ago, maybe them still talking about MMA being illegal in France. But before we get into any of that, in order to have these historic moments in MMA, we have to have people who are giving opportunities to fighters and even amateur fighters. So without any of that, moments like last night wouldn't be possible. So with that, let me introduce my guest today. Former MMA fighter, owner and operator of Vigilant MMA, uh, and one of the top promoters in the in the Tampa Bay area in the state of Florida, I'd say, given opportunities to young amateur fighters in all combat sports, not just MMA, but Muay Thai, boxing, San Shao, and maybe even some martial arts you've never heard of. Mr. Brandon Lee, how you doing, my friend? Doing well, man. Doing well. How you doing today, Bill? No complaints. No complaints. You know, just uh getting a podcasting out of the way before a day of like toddler birthday parties with my daughter and uh, play dates and stuff like that. It's the duality of life, you know? Yeah, man. You got to juggle both family and the business life. That's true. That's true. Um, so man, so many things to talk about, but let's, uh, let's get the listeners a little background on you. So you, you have a background in boxing, kickboxing and MMA and, that kind of led you down a path, chosen or not, to where you are now as a promoter, matchmaker. Um, give me a little rundown of your history in the sport. Well, I mean, I got into boxing uh, in college, actually, at the University of Florida. Go Gators. Big win yesterday. Yes, at, um, about 25 years ago, uh, 97, I started getting in, into some amateur level boxing. And uh, after I left college, got into my professional career as a mortgage broker, I still stuck along with, uh, with amateur boxing for a while. But then when my mortgage career started taking off, it just kind of fell off to the side. Uh, when we experienced that first big mortgage crash in 2006 uh, and everything kind of dried up, I decided to revert back into my fighting career. Uh, at that point, I got into kickboxing. And uh, under Rich Galicia here in Tampa at Fight Team LLC, uh, he eventually coached me into becoming a national champion and a uh, fighter of the year in the United States Kosu Federation. Uh, from there, I uh, converted over into mixed martial arts, had a two and one record there. And uh, shortly after my third MMA fight, unfortunately, I was in a car wreck that left me permanently paralyzed. Uh, I'm a C3, C4, incomplete quadriplegic, meaning that I'm technically paralyzed from the neck down. Uh, but God has blessed me beyond belief with uh, enough mobility 
and grit and determination to fight my way through this. And I uh, still have, it's been well over 11 years of dealing with this. Um, and I've managed to found, create, and build Vigilant MMA off of that. I, I mean, it's so it's such an incredible story that, it, you know, you were so young in your MMA career and then you had this happen to you and you decided to still be involved in the sport and give opportunities to other fighters. Like I, I, I think that's, that's so awesome, especially the, the amateur fighters, but talking timeline, how long was it until from the time of the accident to you were able to get a little bit of mobility back? Man, it was scary. It was scary, Bill. It was about 18 months before I really started seeing anything. Uh, my entire body from the neck down did not work. Uh, they told me that that's how it was going to. The doctor said after about six months, this is where you're going to be for the rest of your life. You're going to have a straw in your mouth. Uh, you're going to be in a motorized wheelchair. People are going to feed you, bathe you, dress you, wipe your butt for the rest of your life. And you're just going to need to get used to it and learn limited mobility. And I looked at him and said, no, I will not accept that. I will not deal with that. And uh, by the grace of God, and I give God all the glory and credit by the grace of God, he gave me enough connectivity between my brain stem and my body to where over the last uh, 10 and a half years, basically, I have worked relentlessly to rebuild my body, give myself mobility. And then I used my lawsuit settlement to found and build this company because I love combat sports. I love mixed martial arts and I wanted to be as involved as I possibly could be. That's awesome, man. Uh, and it, I can't reiterate enough how, how cool it is that you took such a negative situation and not only overcame it, but used the result of that situation to benefit others and give other people opportunities. And I definitely see the passion. I've been to uh, several of the vigilant shows. I see how involved you are uh, top to bottom. Uh, I, I can't imagine how stressful it is, uh, managing a promotion I've, I've done a little bit of event planning and kind of dabbled in things here and there and i've i've seen some of the back end of of promotions and how they work but just you know the logistics alone you, you know the the number of people you need to rely on and and getting a venue and and contacting fighters and dealing with the coaches and dealing with you know even young fighters with with no experience i imagine are can be bits of uh, divas um talk me through a little bit of of the process of of putting on a promotion like this well i mean it's been kind of trial by fire i'm not gonna lie uh, in the beginning all the other promoters i shouldn't say all the other promoters but the majority of the other promoters uh, did not want uh to see combat quest make it so they did everything they could to defame us defame me uh mm -hmm my credibility, attack my ability to put the shows on. Uh, unfortunately, our fourth event, Combat Quest 4, got canceled the day of the show. Now, this Ugh. was April 20th, 2019. Mm -hmm. Well over three years later, and still some people will bring that up as a reason to, oh, you don't want to mess with Combat Quest. They canceled one of their shows. Well, one out of 22 
I don't think is a very bad ratio. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's it's very involved, man. There's so much on the backside of this that no one ever knows about. Um, there's always problems with your ambulance uh, service, with the insurance. Uh, you know, people change their demands. Fighters pull out last second. Fighters make up stories that they can't train. And then mm-hmm. I the next week after the event back at the gym training, you know, mm-hmm. there's a whole lot that goes on behind the scenes. It's so much more than just throwing up a cage and some chairs and putting people in there. That's for- yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, the, the stress of it is, is mind boggling to me, like dealing with all these people. I mean, I, I deal with, with fighters in my own way and, and the excuses like you're talking about. And it, it's weird, like in this day and age of social media, you can't really hide. You can't really lie because somebody's going to have a camera on you, you know, hitting the bag or, or sparring right after you say you're unable to train. Like yep. it's just, or yep. more, more times than that, it's probably the fighter themselves posting on their own social media <laughs> after I, just saying they can't train. Yeah. Yeah, man. It's, it's crazy, but I've learned to, I have zero emotion, right? Like I'm, I'm ice in my veins when it comes to my business. People mm-hmm. very terrible things about me. Uh, I'm not going to say any names, but there's promoters that they refer to me as the crippled faggot in Tampa. Oh, like, eh, well, I, I don't let that stuff phase me, bro. I stay in my lane. I worry about vigilant. I worry about combat quest. I worry about helping as many fighters grow in the sport as possible. Mm-hmm. Uh, I see a lot of mismatches on other shows and I really work hard every single event for make sure that every single fight on my card is a fair fight. Now, mm-hmm. occasionally, you will have someone drop out a couple of days before the event, and then I just have to take whatever I can get to fit to still put the fight on. Mm-hmm. But for the most part, I really work hard. I, I want to know your background. I want to know, did you wrestle in high school? I want to know, you know, um, how long have you been at your current gym? Where were you at before that? I really look deep, a lot deeper than just the record. Because I got sandbagged a lot. I had 49 amateur fights between boxing, kickboxing, and MMA. And Mm -hmm. I lost 17 of those 49. Um, I think I would have won a lot more of those had I known who and what I was facing rather than being sandbagged into into a matchup. So I look at everything from the fighter perspective. I don't Mm -hmm. look at money. I don't look at the the pay-per-view draw. I look at the fighter's perspective, and so I do everything from that perspective. Yeah, and that and that's great. Um, I, I imagine a lot of promoters don't come from being a fighter, um, so it's great that you have that experience. And I, I've witnessed it firsthand. I've seen the rapport that you have with these guys. Uh, I see you talking to them after their fights and telling them great job. Uh, you had three fight of the nights awarded at the last show, which I attended and was uh, judging, had the honor of judging, uh, which was a lot of fun. Uh, so, yeah, I, I definitely see uh, that you care about the fighters and and you're giving them advice and, and things like that. So it's good that they have a promoter that's putting them in fair fights and actually cares about, uh, you know, seeing them succeed. Um, what... What brought about doing like all the different combat sports on one card? So you have a cage set up and you'll have a boxing match and then kickboxing, Muay Thai, kids, 
uh, MMA. You got all this stuff going on. How, how did that all get started? Well, when we did the very first show, Combat Quest number one, it was in a boxing ring. And it was amateur and professional. It was a pro-am. And it was on the pro side, just boxing and MMA. And then on the amateur side, it was strictly MMA. But when we went to the event and the way we built the event, I saw that there's, you know, you have your your boxing purists that will only come to see boxing. Mm-hmm. Nowadays, you have mostly mostly MMA fans of combat sports. They only want to watch MMA. But I feel like if you're going to be a good MMA fighter, you've got to have good boxing technique. You've got to have good kickboxing technique. You damn sure better be good with grappling or you're going to get smothered and annihilated as anybody that fought Khabib. Mm -hmm. So I like to try to, on the amateur level, get these guys as experienced as I possibly can. Mm -hmm. I want them to have a number of boxing matches under their belt, a number of kickboxing matches under their belt, a number of MMA fights under their belt. Then when they go professional, a lot of times now people are crossing over. MMA fighters are crossing over to boxing. MMA fighters are crossing over to kickboxing and vice versa. Mm-hmm. You get an opportunity to make money. Say you get a boxing debut, you might get three or four times more money guaranteed for a boxing debut on the pro side than you would MMA. Mm-hmm. So I would rather these guys have, even if it's just a handful of boxing bouts of experience under their belt when they turn pro. So when they go make that $1,000 real quick or that $1,500 real quick, they're not getting embarrassed. That's mm-hmm. not the first time ever putting the gloves on and getting in there. You know what I mean? It's, it's, it's about experience and building that pedigree that's going to work better for them on the professional level. Yeah. And, and that's a smart approach, which uh, a lot of fighters don't take, unfortunately. Um, you know, as a coach, I have a lot of people come in the gym and say, I want to do MMA. Like, all right, well, let's start you off. Let's do some jujitsu. Let's get you in a tournament as a white belt. You can feel what it's like to compete in a fairly safe environment. There's a very small chance you're going to get hurt. If you can handle that, let's get you, you know, we'll do some amateur kickboxing. We'll see how you deal with that. And you got to build. A lot of people think, you know, they see someone like Cyril Gan <laughs> knocking out Tai Tuivasa. That guy just stepped in an MMA cage when he's got years and years and years of experience as a kickboxer. Right. Um, but nobody wants to see that. They want, the end result you know we we live in a world of instant gratification with social media and everything like that where you know you could post a video of yourself hitting a heavy bag and you immediately get that dopamine hit of people commenting like oh wow you're such a beast (laughs) and then from hitting the bag you're ready for a pro fight or something you know yeah yeah and i think i think a lot of us feel that way you know the first I could say the first time I hit a I hit a bag, I'm like, oh, what is what is there to this? And right. then the first time you get hit back, <laughs> it's like, well, maybe it's a little different than what I thought. Yes, I know. I agree wholeheartedly, man. Um, I, I oftentimes try to counsel a lot of these amateurs that are getting ready, that are on the verge of going pro. And I always try to counsel them. Okay, you've done six MMA fights. You're four and two. That's great. Let's get some kickboxing in. Let's get some boxing in. Or if you're not going to do any of that, let's fly in. And I'm one of the only promoters in Florida that does this. Let's Mm -hmm. fly in a top tier amateur. 
somebody that's ranked in the top 10 regionally, let's fly them in and you fight them. Now, win or lose, if you go three rounds with a top-tier amateur, I feel like you're ready to make the jump. Mm-hmm. But if I fly in a top-tier amateur and you get submitted 30 seconds into the first round, that's a pretty obvious sign that you're not quite ready for that jump yet. Mm-hmm. And uh, recently, Tampa was given a very good dose of knowledge on this, and I hope that a lot of area fighters saw. There's a deaf war fighter here in Tampa named Max Kiones. Max Kiones has, I believe, 12 or 13 amateur fights. He's like eight and four. Mm-hmm. Um, he dealt with a knee injury that kept him out for about 18 months. Mm-hmm. But in back, most people with 10, 12 MMA fights would have went ahead and went pro. He didn't do that. He got another fight in up north against the champion. He lost, but he went all three rounds with a stud mm-hmm. champion, and he made his pro debut uh, just recently for CFFC here in Tampa at the Hard Rock, mm-hmm. and dominated for three rounds a guy that was more experienced. I think that guy was like 3-0 and or 3-1, and and it was Max's debut. And Max literally dominated him. And the reason was all that experience, all that growth that he made on the amateur level, it made it so much easier for him to transition. And these guys forget they do three three-minute rounds. Mm-hmm. Well, that's only nine minutes as soon as you make that jump to the pros you're going to three five minute rounds so already you're almost doubling your time in the cage from <laughs> the 15 and, and it's such a huge difference too but um sounds like that young man got some good advice and and some great coaching as well yep yep oh defor does not play any games over there man they're breeding champions back to back to back yeah i um uh, I'm familiar with them. That a lot of great guys coming out of that gym. They come and, and cross train with us at MJM quite a bit. Um, <clears throat> good, good, solid foundation. Those guys have good, good heads on their shoulders, and and they're getting good advice in their ears, which is huge for young fighters because a lot of them aren't. You know, a lot of a lot of coaches that I've experienced are just, you know, clout chasing. You know, looking at to rush fighters into things that they're not ready for. And um, that's how people get hurt. Yep. They're only concerned with the belts and the, and the membership dues. There's a number of those guys. All they want to know is, is, is their guy fighting for a title? And am I getting paid my money on the first of the month? Now, yeah. And that's an unfortunate side, especially, um, you know, when you're dealing with amateurs and, and trying to build people up. And a lot of people don't realize who are MMA fans, they don't realize any of this, like the struggles of a fighter to find a good camp and find a good gym and good coaches and surround themselves with good people that are going to help lift them up um, and help get them to those bigger stages. You know, a lot of people, again, just see the end result and they don't know what it takes to get you there. And then so I've seen the other the other side of it, too, is I've seen very good, very passionate coaches get screwed over by the fighters and get burnt out, um, you know, because they, de- they devote so much time and energy into a person and then they just move on to what they think is greener pastures. Uh, I'm, I'm sure you've seen a lot of this as well. Oh, yes. Yeah. I'm not going to call out any names. I can think of some fight away where the, fi- the coach put everything into the fighter. The coach built the guy from the ground up. I mean, from a green debut amateur all the way up to the UFC and then the fighter got to the UFC and was like, ah, 
you know, I think I'm just going to go in another direction now. And it's like, what? Mm-hmm. I, you didn't know how to throw a jab or a cross. I've gotten you to the UFC, and now you feel like there's a better opportunity. Okay. Good luck. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's uh, it, it's definitely a delicate balance. There's a lot of uh, emotion involved. There's a lot of ego involved on both sides. And it, sometimes fighters do outgrow gyms. Um, I, I, I've, I've seen very few scenarios where fighters – you know, have had to move on to other gyms just because they don't have the training partners or the resources, you know, once they get to a certain level. But they also maintain a good relationship. You know, they'll still bring in their old coach to corner them mm-hmm. and, and things like that. Sometimes, you you know, you do need to move on. But, um, you know, it's it's a fine line and it's it's hard to it's hard to manage. It's hard to manage relationships in general with people. So when you start adding in, you know, a dangerous sport, it brings it to a whole new level. And Brandon, I want to circle back to your endeavors. And I definitely want to go over Combat Quest um, 22, the event that I attended a couple of weeks ago and talk about what you have coming up next. But uh, let's get into this UFC last night, because I, I'm sure it's on everyone's minds. Uh, just what a huge event. And, you know, put the history aside for a second of, you know, MMA being illegal in France for so long and they finally bring it and Bellator has been there already. Now the UFC finally did it and the French fighters did really well. I mean, usually you bring MMA into a new area and the local fighters kind of flop a little bit, but uh, these French fighters uh, definitely delivered. Let's start at the top with Cyril Gunn getting the knockout in the third round over Tai Tuivasa. What'd you think of that? Man, it was a great fight. It lived up to the hype. I love Tuivasa. Uh, he reminds me of a fat version of myself. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to go in there and swing and bang. I'm going to keep good form, but I'm going to give you 110% for about two rounds. Mm-hmm. And if you make it past those two rounds of fury, you're probably going to get me. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, Tuivasa was the first person to ever knock Cyril gone down because he did put him on his ass. Mm-hmm. He had been a little bit more athletic and in shape. He might have could have taken advantage of that opportunity to get the finish. Uh, but you got to give credit where credit's due. Cyril weathered the storm. He has tremendous technique. He's very long. He knows how to use that range. And he put Tiavasa down. I don't think had anybody knocked Tiavasa out yet. I don't think anybody had it, right? No, I don't believe he's been finished. I could pull it up real quick. But um, yeah. To your point, yeah, maybe if he were a little quicker, a little more athletic, uh, he could have gotten there. Uh, let's see. He was, yes, he was TKO'd by Junior Dos Santos in 2018, oh. uh, and he was submitted by Sergey Spivak. Um, yeah, but at the same time, like, sometimes there are guys like him who just, like, they utilize that extra weight well. It's hard to explain, but they just – I don't know. Maybe it gives them a little extra oomph behind their shots. You know, I always think of like the Roy Nelson example. You know, maybe if Roy Nelson like was in great shape, maybe he wouldn't hit as hard. You know, look at that elbow that Tiavasa landed on Derek, um, Derek uh, uh, Lewis. I mean, it didn't look that powerful. It didn't look that thunderous. But Mm -hmm. put the lights out. It's got a couple of shoeies behind it. What it has. (laughs) Ew, God. <laughs> bro 
I, I would eat sofa pizza before I would do a shoey, man. Yeah, I that's um that's a gutsy move, especially when he just takes it from somebody in the crowd. <laughs> but um when I when I broke down this fight last week, I saw it going one of two ways. I saw Gon staying on the outside, outpointing him, using his jab like he's so great at doing, keeping him at bay with the leg kicks, or Tiavasa knocking him out. Um, you know, Gon kind of got into the firefight with Tuivasa a little bit, which I wouldn't think would have been the best game plan, but we saw like, he's got a chin. He could take a shot. Um, and those fighting instincts, those years of kickboxing, you know, he was able to, to hang in there after getting rocked with a shot that would have knocked a lot of people out cold. Um, and then was able to finish Tuivasa, who's so tough. Like you said, not a lot of people able to put him down. There was one point where Gon hit him with a shot and the grimace on Tuivasa's face just said to me, I cannot give up, but I really want to. Right. I think it was that overhand right that went through his face and Gon's fist was like almost this far past his face. I mean, like he punched through his face. I know yeah. that exact moment. Cause you've seen it on two of us. He was like, Oh dear God, that hurt like hell. Yeah. Yeah. And you saw the look on his face where like for a split second, he thought like I could just go down right now and, mm -hmm. and they'll probably stop it. But he, you know, to his credit, he kept pushing through until his body gave out. Um, huh. So that says something about a guy's toughness because there are moments in, in every fight where, you know, guys throw in the towel without really throwing in the towel. You know, I hear Chell Sonnen talk about this a lot. He's like, guys just give up the rear naked choke. And, you know, it's such an easy choke to defend, but they're just looking for a, a way. way out. Yep. And, um, you know, you could tell Tuivasa has that next level toughness where he's like, no, I'm going to keep going until the wheels fall off. And cool. um, I have more respect for him now losing this fight uh, than I did going into it. I agree. I agree wholeheartedly, man. I mean, he's he's already shown us that he's got the heart of a lion, but. He also has, you know, he has good um, composure. He, you know, he kept fighting under pressure. Didn't just turn away or, or, or like you said, look for a way out. He just swung until he had nothing left. And then mm -hmm. the body failed on him. And, and speaking of pressure, you have, here you have Cyril Gan fighting in his home country, the first UFC event ever in France. That's got to be tremendous pressure. And the guy... You know, he was just such a professional and went out there and put on the best performance of his career. Um, so that really says something to his composure as a fighter. Um, unbelievable. So what do you want to see next for both of these guys? Oh, man. Well, I mean, I think Cyril has got to be the number one contender. But, I mean, his his last two, you know, he, he lost to Naganu. Now he came back and beat Tuavosa. So I think smartest move for Gaon would be to get one more fight in before you go challenge Naganu again, you know, get mm -hmm. yourself another solid win against a top five guy uh, for Tuivasa. Um, I think, you know, his chances of getting a title shot now, probably, you know, a lot, a lot slimmer, but there's a lot of good opportunities for both those guys within the top 10 of the division. A lot of up and coming hungry guys, guys that can put them to the test and prepare them to get back in there with the king. Um, I would like to see Gon face um, either Jones or Stipe, to be honest. I, I think Gon manhandles John, John Jones myself. 
Um, I'm in the minority on that, but I think he he re- <laughs> handles him. It's a he's a big boy. Yeah, that's a that's a lot that's a lot of man to deal with. I know yeah. John, Jones has put on some weight, but yeah, that'll be tough. Um, and before this fight, I would say that uh, Cyril Gon versus John Jones would be a hard sell. But after this performance, I, I think you know people would like to see that. Um, and then we're assuming that Nganu is going to stick around. It seems like he's riding out his contract after December 31st. Um, he's free. Oh, really? I didn't know that. I, yeah. I, thought, I thought he had one more fight. So it's a timeline contract, not a, uh, not a, uh, um, mm-hmm. fights contract. I didn't know that. And, and usually with the champions, they have a renewal clause. So you have to defend the title. Um, but w- for some reason he was able to get out of that. Um, and now all he has to do is wait it out. And I guess he's using that as a bargaining chip. So it seems like they're going to do Stipe and John Jones for an interim title uh, in December. That Those are the, the rumblings I've been hearing. Yep, yep me too. Um, if, I'm, if I'm managing Cyril Gunn, man, I'd hate to say this because it's probably the worst matchup for him in the division. But maybe try to get a fight with Curtis Blades. And I think that's a fun fight. And also try to get on the card with Stipe and Jones in case something happens with that. Um, you can step right in for that interim title. I think that's a very interesting matchup, man. I think that's a dangerous fight for Gon, uh, being that he's you know sitting in that prime position to challenge for the title. That's a dangerous fight for him. But, I mean, what fight isn't dangerous? If you're, if you're actually a martial artist, you're actually a combat athlete, then you know that when you get in that cage, even if you're a 10 to one favorite, you know, the other guy can knock you out with one punch. All everybody has the same snooze button. It's right mm-hmm. here. Jaw. And mm-hmm. it doesn't take that much. Ask Kamaru Usman. If you drop your guard for two tenths of a second with a minute to go in the fifth round after dominating 24 minutes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, shit happens. Um, if I'm Curtis Blades, I'm screaming for this fight. Absolutely. Especially after seeing Francis Ngannou take Cyril Gon down. Curtis Blades with probably the best wrestling credentials in the division. Uh, you know, he's he's got to be shouting from the rooftops for this fight. Especially knowing that the top three guys are all tied up. Because Ngannou's waiting out his contract. It looks like it's going to be Stipe and Jones. You got to keep busy. Um, you know, Tuivasa just lost. So you don't want that fight. Aspinall is hurt. Um, yeah, if I'm Curtis Blades, I want this fight. If I'm Cyril Gunn, I don't want that fight, but I'm taking it because there's nothing else on the horizon. There's no other top guy available. Yeah, yeah, I agree with you. I agree with you. It's it's dangerous, but at the same time, it's something you got to do if you want to be that the the guy at the top waiting to see how the cookie crumbles, you know? See what happens with Naganu, see what happens with Steve and Jones, and mm-hmm. ready to insert yourself wherever you can. Absolutely. And uh speaking speaking of inserting themselves, let's talk about your boy uh Bobby Knuckles here Ooh. in the co main event. Uh this was just he just dismantled Marvin Vittori. Uh, this was this is way more one sided than I anticipated. Um from a guy who like some people were like, well, he's never going to beat the champ. So, you know, maybe he's not motivated anymore. Uh, Robert Whitaker reminded everybody 
why he's at the top of the heap. So uh, give me your thoughts on this fight. Man, well, Martin Vittori surprised me. Um, he's usually one of the, I'm not, not trying to knock the guy, but he's more of a lay and pray. He's a guy that's going to take you down, smother you, and try to like, you know, w- work his angle into a finish. But he was pressing forward throughout the fight. All three rounds, I feel like he lost. It appeared that way on the judges' scorecards. I think one judge gave him one round. Yeah, I don't know what they were looking at. Me neither, because Whitaker dominated all three rounds. But through the domination, it was Vittori who was pushing forward the entire fight, which I had never seen him do before. Mm -hmm. So I felt like that was a great test for Whitaker. I felt like, you know, Vittori, even though he got smashed, he made a lot of progress. He looked a lot better in his stand-up. He was a lot more aggressive. He used cage control. Um, But we got reminded once again that the number two middleweight on the planet without any hesitation is Robert Whitaker. Don't Mm -hmm. now that may change with, if Pereira pulls off the upset and, and takes Adesanya out. Now you've got to shake things up there, but um, I don't think, you know, there's nobody else really waiting in the wings at middleweight outside of those three that can compete with any of those three. I think. Yeah. I mean, if you're Robert Whitaker, you got to be hoping that Adesanya gets demolished to the point where it's like, not even deserving of a rematch so he can get in there with some fresh blood and get a chance at getting his title back. But um, yeah, it was the speed, the timing and the precision of Robert Whitaker. And I, I was so happy to see this performance because just two weeks ago, my level one Muay Thai students, I was going over the jab out jab, uh, you know, jab into the pocket, dart right back out and then right back in. Uh, and that was Whitaker all night. And he showed how effective it could be against uh, somebody who's bigger, probably stronger. You know, he was using that speed and he was lightning quick in and out of the pocket. And that's really what was uh, giving him success there. Um, and he hit that nice double leg on Vittori right at the end just to let him know, like, hey, I got this too. Yep, yep. I can take you down if I want to. That's what I like about Whitaker is he he doesn't look to just beat guys. He, he likes to show little moments where I'm better than you everywhere. And, um, you know, he was able to shut down uh, Vittori's game. And you could see it it wasn't like, I I wouldn't even say it was an off night for Vittori. Like he just couldn't pull the trigger. He was just so stifled. Like every time he moved forward, you know, he was getting in the face, but uh, hitting the face. But to his credit, he kept moving forward, like you said. Um, And he took some big shots, man. Those head kicks, uh, that, that, those are putting down a lot of middleweights and maybe some light heavyweights for sure, man. And he was, and Whitaker was lightning fast with them too. Um, yeah. I think Whitaker showed us or reminded us that the jab is the most underappreciated strike in combat sports. If you force a guy to deal with your jab, because over the course of the fight, Vittori had to switch up everything he was doing to deal with that lightning quick jab. And when you force your opponent to deal with the lightning quick jab, what happens? Everything mm-hmm. else opens up. And he was able to showcase that for us, you know, with Martin Vittori, with just that stifling jab, which opened up all the other attacks. Yeah. GSP made a career out of it. For real. You know, a lot of people always say, like, how did he become such a great wrestler uh, without a wrestling background? And he did it with his jab. That's how he set up everything. He would mm-hmm. just frustrate people with it to the point where they were shelling up so much. Right. He was able to. Yeah. I'm in. Uh, of George, you'd seen him. He was in the crowd yesterday. Yeah, he looks great. 
dude, that guy, man, I, I, I'm confused and baffled as to what his motivation is to stay in such supreme shape being this far out of, you know, contact combat sports. But that guy is in Bruce Lee type shape. Yeah, I, I saw a funny meme that that picture of Conor McGregor came out recently where he, he's looked like he's aged a lot. They're like, this is Conor McGregor at 34 next to GSP at 40. <laughs> and GSP looks younger and, and trimmer. Um, but yeah, I think he's just one of those guys that just, you know, is concerned with the way he looks and, and being healthy and eating right and, you know, doing gymnastics and whatever else he's doing up there in Montreal and uh, just living his best life. Yeah, man. I mean, he's one of those rare um, athletes that even though his, his competitive career is over, he is still, I mean, bro, that guy could get in there, I think right now and, and be competitive with some of the top guys in the world if he wanted to. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. hundred percent. I mean, look how he got off the bench and, and got in there with Michael Bisping and just, uh, you know, you. did what he did to him. And, yeah. but Bisping's another one of those guys too. I, I hear, um, I hear he still works out like an animal, even doing all the analyst stuff. They say he's down. He'll be at the hotels uh, down on the treadmill at five in the morning. It's like, dude, you don't have to do this anymore. <laughs> I, I wouldn't expect that with Bisbing, but uh, I was never a big Bisbing fan myself. I'm a Dan Henderson fan. So with all oh. that, all that, well, I, uh, one, one of my favorite fighters of all time, Dan Henderson. I, and- I um I I loved watching him back in Pride. Um, he, he was one of the guys that because I, I I have a wrestling background and the the guy who really got me into MMA was Jens Pulver because I was like, here's this little guy who's a wrestler, he's knocking dudes out. And then I saw Dan Henderson and I was like, here's a guy who is a, an Olympic caliber wrestler. And he's not using it at all. He's just demolishing people. The old H-bomb. Yeah. And the, the guy's a freak in nature. Absolutely. And, and he was the, he's the original champ champ because he was the pride 185 and 205 champion at the same time. Mm-hmm. Fighting guys at 205 at his walking weight and then cutting down to 185 and defending both titles. Yeah. Yeah. He was a beast. He was a beast. Um, and, and then he had some great fights in the UFC, unfortunately, never able to, uh, realize that UFC title, um, which, which really would have cemented him with, uh, you know, the current crop of fans, but, um, he'll, he'll be, he'll be in my top five forever, no matter what happens. Oh, um, absolutely. Um, let's see some bad blood. Nasruddin Imovov and Joaquin Buckley. These guys, I, I don't know the whole backstory or anything, but it was heated in there to the point where Mark Goddard was trying to separate them a few times and Imovov was trying to jump over them like it was a, like it was a fight in a sorority house. <laughs> Dude, I don't know. I have no idea what the backstory was on that, but you could just see uh, at the day before the media day and then the face-offs, like they really, truly wanted to get at each other. Like that mm-hmm. was... And, and that's good for the sport. I mean, you don't want to have that on every fight on the card because if there's that much animus going on, you might have another Conor McGregor dolly tossing shenanigans, you know, which messes everything up. But you always want to have on every card or, or every so often that that fight with the bad blood because that's mm-hmm. what 
going to draw even more people to want to see it and want to see the outcome. Yeah, yeah, you got to have a little bit of heat. Um, and I, I'm glad they bumped this one up to the main card because it was originally scheduled on the prelims. And I was talking when I was breaking down this card last week. I was like, "What is this fight doing on the prelims?" I mean, you have Imavov, who's a local guy, and you have Buckley with three wins in a row with one of the greatest knockout highlights of all time. Um, why is this fight not on the main card? I'm glad to see that they bumped it up. Uh, and I, I think the Imovov's emotions were almost his detriment because after that second round, it, he didn't have a whole lot left. And Buckley hit a switch where he decided, like, I'm going to try and finish this dude and came out with a fire under him in that third round. And he was like, reach disadvantage, uh, losing two rounds. I don't give a fuck. I'm going after this guy. And I, I love this fight. Yep. No, I agree totally. I, I think that um, Imovov, I think he thought that he was going to get the finish in the first or the second round. So he probably didn't prepare. It looked as if he didn't prepare himself for a, for a 15 minute war. You know, mm-hmm. I, he saw a shorter man with less reach, uh, and, and in his, in his hometown, you know, in his backyard and thought all of those things combined, I'm going to go in there and smish this guy, you know, uh, uh, Kamzat style and, uh, Buckley wasn't having it. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I think the emotions played a big part. Nothing will drain your cardio quicker than getting angry. Um, you know, they say like never fight angry. And the reason for that is it'll just spike your adrenaline. It'll drain everything out of your muscles. And, uh, but credit to Imavov, despite all of that, despite, you know, maybe blowing his wad or getting too emotional, whatever the case in those first two rounds, he still survived, uh, that onslaught from Buckley, which a lot of people wouldn't, uh, when they're, when they're that exhausted. Uh, go over a couple more things here i'll jump around a little bit but uh keeping it linear for now roman kapalov uh it seemed like he was losing the fight to alessio de Chirico. um good back and forth fight and then kapalov seemed like came out of nowhere with this knockout because it looked like de Chirico was starting to run away with it and then you know and hey anything could happen in this sport he, well, he goes back to what saying earlier you know, that these guys know, you know, you're getting in there with someone who is battle tested, who if you're on the UFC, they're training full time. They, they're coming to kill. And if you let your guard down for two tenths of a second, you're going to get caught. And mm-hmm. you better you better stay on your A plus game from bell to bell with no matter who it is in there. You know, no matter who the opponent is, no matter what the track record is, no matter what the last three fights look like, no matter who their coach is. You got to be ready for, you know, for to die on your shield, really. Um, absolutely. And it, if you're getting in there with Magomedov, I don't want to butcher his first name. I don't want to be disrespectful. But I, this... I tempt that, bro. Good for you. <laughs> um, so 19 second TKO over a tough guy in, du- in uh, Dustin Soltfus. Uh, this. This kid is a monster. Well, if people don't start closing their guard, um, I, I'm I, I, I hate to say this because I know some of my uh, local coaches are going to hear this, but I am not a really big fan of the Dutch style kickboxing approach to MMA because I feel like your shoulders are a little bit too broad. I feel mm-hmm. like you're a bit too square. And a lot of these guys are figuring out that a teeth kick to the teeth 
puts all that to rest really quickly. Mm-hmm. You know, Anderson Silva did it to Vitor Belfort. Um, who was it that did it? Somebody did it to Randy Couture and knocked his front Machida. Machida, that's right. How did I forget that? Machida did it to Couture and knocked his front two teeth out. So you, you see a guy come out square, that teeth kick, whether it's to the chest or to the teeth, is pretty mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it's almost like he knew that that was there. Um, but still, the uh, the follow-up, just vicious. Um, uh, I'm looking forward to seeing this guy mix mix it up in the uh, in the middleweight division. Now, what are they doing over there in Dagestan, bro? They're breeding champions. They're breeding savage warriors, man. Like, those boys... Mm, mm, mm. Hopefully the U.S. lines up with them when World War III starts. <laughs> yeah, let's hope. <laughs> we want those guys on the front lines. It's just like it's just a different mindset, you know. It's it over there. They are literally fighting for their family, for their future, for you know what I mean. Whereas mm-hmm. here, sadly, the majority of people are fighting for clout and money. Mm-hmm. So different- yeah. Yeah, there's there's none of that over there. They're not concerned with their Instagram followers. They're just concerned with with demolishing people, and it, it, the results speak for themselves. Um, speaking of which, next weekend, man, dude, Kamzat and Diaz. I uh, I'm so excited for this. I, like, on paper, it's like it's a no brainer almost. Correct. But, you know, the only paper that matters to Nate Diaz is rolling paper. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, I mean, we already know Nate Diaz ain't scared of nobody. You can no. have bloody, battered, bruised, and beaten, and he's still going to flick you off and come at you as hard as he did in the first round. Those guys are cardiovascular freaks, him and his whole team. So they mm-hmm. don't get tired, they know how to punch, they're tough as nails. They're all black belts in jujitsu. So if you get sick of the stand-up and you make the mistake of shooting in, well, we all found out what happened with that with Conor McGregor. So uh, I'm really excited, man, to see what happens because my dream scenario, Brandon Lee's dream scenario is Diaz wrecks the hype train, gets a submission, beats Kamzat. Now he's in a position to argue for a three-fight deal. He gets Leon Edwards. He gets Masvidal, and he gets that McGregor trilogy and then rides out with 100 M's and a big fat blunt in his mouth. <laughs> it's, it's interesting hearing you say that from the promoter's perspective because that's probably the promoter's nightmare if you're the UFC. Absolutely. Because you lose your hype train, and now you got to negotiate with Nate and give him whatever he wants. But I feel like if Nate does pull off the upset here, I think he's just riding off to, to other things. He's He's been pretty public about saying, you know, he wants the Logan Paul or Jake Paul or whatever it is. He wants that boxing match. Um, I, I would prefer to see your scenario where he comes back to the UFC. But, um, you know, whatever is best for him, he's got a young family now and, you know, if he wants to make sure that there he's his family set up for generations and that's his path to do it, then great. Um, as far as the actual fight, though, I mean, we know Chamayev has power and we know he's got nasty wrestling, but Nate Diaz is so good off his back. You think the game plan is to stand with him 
Cause and, better, and try and box with him, or does he take him down and try and beat him up? No, if Kamzat is is using his brain and not his balls, then he's going to keep this fight on his feet. Because I, while most people are these big fans of the DS boxing, since I I had twenty nine boxing matches amateur myself, I was twenty four and five. I don't, I'm not scared of their boxing. I've never really been a big fan of their boxing. They use, um, uh, um. What's the word I'm looking for here? Um, they use just a lot of a lot of swarming swinging. You know, they mm-hmm. they're uh, they're looking for the number of swings and the number of strikes more than the power. Mm-hmm. I think that Kamzat is more of a power guy and a technique guy. So if he's smart, he's going to try to outstrike Diaz because mm-hmm. all know you can be on top of Diaz in his guards, slamming him with elbows to the face. And then he'll hit you a triangle choke on you and you're and the fight's over while he's flicking off the camera. Right. So, uh... The only reason I, I would think that he would take it to the ground is because he just fought Gilbert Burns and survived on the ground with him there. But Gilbert Burns, as great as he is at jujitsu, and I have so much respect for his jujitsu, like as as a bottom guy, it's a different world than you know the long limbs of a of a diaz um so that's the only reason if he has that confidence from from that fight uh then he might take it to the ground um let's see we got we got some other fun fights i'll, I'll read off a couple of them and tell me what what sticks out to you we got jingliang lee and tony ferguson kevin holland and daniel rodriguez we got johnny walker and Ion kutilaba hakeem dawadu and julian arosa uh, what are you liking so far? So, I mean, I, I, any fight that Tony Ferguson is in, I'm a fan of. Uh, and I think that that was very well matched up. Um, whoever did that over there, Sean Shelby, or um, I'm trying to think of the other guy's name. Um, whoever did that, that was a really smart matchup because um, Ferguson needs a win. You know what I mean? Ferguson needs that, that bounce back W to, to keep his legacy intact, to keep his, you know, himself moving in the right direction. And, I, th- I feel like Ling is in the same position. You know, he's been dominated, I think, two out of his last three. So both those guys are going in there with a with a statement to make. I think that was a brilliant matchup. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, uh, this is like uh, both both guys are in a must-win situation here. I, I think uh, Kevin Holland and Daniel Rodriguez is going to be a really fun fight. Two guys right. that like to stand and bang, but they're both excellent grapplers. Um. That, that could be a fun matchup. I think, and now if Kevin Holland will walk out in a Batman costume, then I'll really start to be a fan. <laughs> I don't know yeah, how right? he finds himself in the right place at the right time all the time, but God. Dude, dude's just fighting crime in, in between cage fights. Unbelievable. Hey, I'm not a lie, bro. I really, I, I respect and I admire that because with the way that our current conditions of our world and our country are, um, I tell my friends all the time, man, like you guys don't know, if I wasn't disabled, I would be known as the Antifa hunter. <laughs> Go around and attack old people, attack, um, you know, white people and Hispanics and, and just and it's mainly it's mainly, you know, white liberals that do it. Um, I would be flying around city to city and bludgeoning these people, man. I can't stand when people attack older, elderly, less fortunate, you know, people that can't defend themselves. I've always my whole life. I've always fought the bully. I've been kicked out of so many schools growing up. 
my parents had to move so many times because I would, I'll pick up an encyclopedia and crack a bully in the head, you know, like I, I really hated that my whole life. So to sit here and see the way our country has divulged down into that and accepted it, man, it really, it really burns me. So to see somebody like Kevin Holland that just happens to always find himself at the right place at the right time and step up and do something about it. That's the difference. Well, the name Vigilant MMA is making more sense now that I know you have the the spirit of a vigilante. <laughs> Absolutely, my brother. In fact, uh, Vigilant came about because uh, when I was laying in the hospital bed, um, I had a uh, you know, feeding tube down my throat. Um, I was not still wasn't talking. All my ribs were broken on one side. I had a punctured lung uh, to go with the spinal cord injury and the broken neck. Uh, my best friend, my daughter's godfather, uh, Edward Joseph Bugle III, Captain Bugle uh, in the United States Army, he came and visited me. Uh, he got he got relief from, uh, he was in Iraq, and he got relief and came over to visit me. And uh, he told me that all the soldiers, when they leave the base and go out into the dirt, that's what they called it, out into the desert, into the dirt, there would always be somebody standing by that front gate that would fist bump every person and say, stay vigilant out there, stay vigilant out there, stay vigilant out there. So he said, Brandon, this is going to be the toughest test of your life. If you're ever going to come back from this, you're going to have to stay vigilant 100% of the time. You've got to be on the ball, looking straight forward, you know, watching your 20 being the epitome of vigilance. And that has just stuck with me throughout. That's an awesome story. And uh, with that, let's circle it back to the, the great things you've been doing with this promotion. Um, I got to attend and judge for Combat Quest 22, secure the bag too, right here in Clearwater, Florida. And it was such a fun event. It was, um, it had everything you can want from a local show or from even watching at home, which, um, how, how can people check out Vigilant MMA for these future events? Sure, man. So right at the top of our website, VigilantMMA.com, uh, you just go to the website and the newest flyer is always right at the top of the page. Right underneath that is where you can purchase tickets or pay-per-view. And uh, we've got different options for people. I'm trying to build off of the website and have uh, members. And we're going to start adding more private content, um, mm -hmm. Exclusive content, fighter interviews, things like this with MMA on the rocks. Um, try to like build the website library beyond just the fighting, because for a lot of these guys, uh, there's so much more to it. There's a backstories for a lot of these guys. There's mm -hmm. no obstacles that they have to overcome. And I want to make sure to highlight these things and bring them to people's attention because there's so much more to this than just getting in a cage and swinging around, especially on the amateur level. These guys have to juggle work, responsibilities, home life, gym and training, and then whatever personal life they may or may not have. Mm -hmm. um, a lot to juggle there, and we want to make sure to highlight these guys and, and put them in the, the forefront of everything. Yeah, and that's a great thing that you're doing. Um, you know, a lot of promotions, they just need bodies and they'll, they'll pair people up with whomever. Uh, so it's great that you're actually highlighting the stories um, and the backstories. I know there were a lot of emotional backstories from Combat Quest 22. I went into it not because I was judging. I didn't look 
at the card ahead of time until I got to the venue. I didn't know anything about the fighters. I didn't want to know. Um, and going in with that blank slate, it, it was such a great card. I mean, I showed you at the end of the night, I had blood all over my scorecard. Like, how, <laughs> how could you have more fun than that? Uh, sitting cage side uh, and, and getting able to uh, being able to judge these uh, fights. But let's talk about some of the fights you had on here, which which people can go back and and rewatch this on your website. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. In fact, we dropped the price from 30 to 15 bucks after the show. Oh, nice. OK, so it's 30 if they want to watch it live and then 50 for I mean, 15 for the uh, the replay. All right. Good to know. Um, so. We had we had MMA, we had boxing, we had Muay Thai, we had a couple of kids fighting. I know you had three fights of the night. Um, for me, the most impressive one, and I think this was the one that got blood on my scorecard. It was Samir Abidrabo and David Pierluisi, uh, 125 pound MMA fighters. It was a, it was a rematch. They had boxed before, and this fight was MMA. It was so back and forth. It was so bloody. These guys were bleeding right on me, and I had the time of my life. <laughs> yeah, man. I love both those kids, man. Like, let me tell you, they both have the heart of a lion. They both will not give up or quit. You saw it yourself, cage side. Um, their previous match was kickboxing, was Muay Thai kickboxing. Oh, okay. And it was a three-round split decision. Mm -hmm. me, for anybody that knows, it could have gone either way. Two judges had Pierre Luisi. One judge had Samir. And the thing is, if you go back and watch that fight, man, Samir got hit with some absolute bombs and just would not give up or go down. And not only did he not give up or go down, but he kept pushing forward. Reminded me kind of a lot of Vittori against Whitaker this past uh, yesterday. Mm -hmm. So when I signed these guys up for a rematch in MMA, I knew that it was going to be just an absolute what we used to call back in Alabama growing up a slobber knocker. <laughs> there was going to be no quit in either guy, and they lived up to the hype, even exceeded it, and all the way to the bell in the third round, both those guys were looking for the finish. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was, it was a fantastic fight. Um, uh, a Muay Thai fight that I enjoyed uh, as a Muay Thai clinch coach myself was Jaden Rivero and uh, Colin Walker. And it looked like in the first round, Rivero was going to kind of run away with this one until Colin Walker realized he had such an advantage in the clinch. And then it was just sweep city for mm -hmm. rounds two and three. Uh, I was, I was impressed with both of those kids though. They both brought it and they're what, 15, 16 years old. Yep, 15 years old. Both those kids, uh, Jaden was two and O, oh, but he had fought the same guy, same opponent twice. Now, I take nothing away from his opponent because his opponent was tough. Both those fights went all three rounds. Mm -hmm. uh, one of those fights was a split decision. The other was a unanimous decision. But both, you know, Jaden had six rounds of tough kickboxing under his belt coming in. Colin, on the other hand, was coming in with four and one record. He's fought on uh, Ali Terra's promotion. He's fought in Leo Code. I think he fought WCFL. So he he had been around the block already. Mm -hmm. uh, Normally, I would want Jaden to get another fight or two under his belt before fighting somebody like Colin, uh, but I was not able to secure him uh, someone closer to his record as far as an opponent, and he really wanted to compete and dedicate that fight uh, to the untimely passing of his older brother. Mm -hmm. uh, unfortunately, 
His older brother, Jordan Rivera, was in a motorcycle crash and uh, unexpectedly passed away. So rather than keep him off the card, um, he reluctantly, him and his coach, Crafton Murder Wallace, uh, and his dad reluctantly agreed to take this really tough fight. And as you said, I mean, it was a three-round back-and-forth fight. And once Colin realized about those sweeps, catching those kicks into those sweeps, that really definitely made the difference in the fight. Yeah, absolutely. And it, it's such a, a terrible tragedy. I mean, the, the loss of a sibling is is just so heartbreaking. Um, but the fact that he still wanted to get in there and compete and dedicate it to his brother is awesome. And he looked good. Um, if, it, if it had been an at-range kickboxing fight, I, I think, you know, Jaden probably could have ran away with it. But the adjustment after the first round from Colin when he realized once he got his hands on him, he could put him down at will, basically, uh, was, was kind of a game changer. That was a, a really exciting fight for me. Um, Don't discount the fact either that even though Jaden was taking those lumps, he kept going. He kept trying the, the, the high free, the high style kicks, mm -hmm. trying to push forward. You know, he, he did not abandon his game plan. He didn't give up. He didn't look for a way out. He fought, yeah. he fought very, very uh, valiantly all three rounds. Absolutely. Yeah, you could tell he wanted it. Um, the last fight I want to talk about, because it looks like you've got this guy uh, fighting on your upcoming card as well. Marquez Forrest um, defeated Nick Weaver, 170-pound uh, MMA. This dude is a beast. Um, I, I could see why you're going back to the well with him again. And you're telling me in his next fight he's dropping down to 155 pounds. If he says he could do it, great. But as an outsider looking at the guy, the way he's built, I'm like, man, is he going to cut a leg off? What's he going to do? Yeah, I don't know. I'm, you know, as the promoter and matchmaker, I'm going to try to stay out of that. I'm not going to ask very many questions. Sure. Uh, and his coach are supremely confident that that's going to be his weight class on the professional level. And I think it's very intelligent of them. I always advise people. If you're going to drop a weight class when you jump up to the pros, you better get one or two in against some top-tier competition at that weight class. Because if you're getting used to fighting at 170, and then when you go pro, you try to drop to 155, that's a 15-pound difference on your body. And the style of the fighters, the style of the fighting, does change from one weight class to another. So mm -hmm. you're going to have faster people at 155 than at 170. You know, you're going to have guys that are probably historically more of a grapplers at 155 than 170. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of adjustments that you're going to have to make. So luckily, um, when they when his coach told me that, um, she and I spoke back and forth on it at great length and decided let's, let's get a good, hard, firm test in there. Um, and we're going to bring him in against Dakota Cutthroat Trice out of Hellman's MMA, who is um, currently 5-1 and one and just won the Rise FC lightweight title against an undefeated fighter. Okay. So, yeah, this is... Uh, and he's going against another undefeated fighter and Marquez. So this is going to be a fun main event. You're going back to Tampa for this one, yeah? Yeah, man. We're going to be at the Tampa Gold Club. That's uh, an adult establishment over there, a uh, gentleman's club over on Adamo. Now, just so everybody knows, it's 18 and up to get in. 
but there was not going to be any um, adult entertainment going on. We're Mm -hmm. in the facility for the day. Now, as soon as it's going to be in the daytime, we're going to start the fights at noon. We're going to be done by about 4 p.m. And that way they can still do their night shift there uh, at the uh, at the gentleman's club. But for the event, it's going to be 18 and up, but there's not going to be any, you know, risque ladies running around, any pole dancing or any of that. Not during the show. Now, the after party is a different story. All right. Okay. I see. uh, I see how you're selling tickets here. I'm (laughs) I'm not I'm not opposed to it. It's a great strategy. What else you got on this card? Um, I got to wrap up in a couple of minutes here, but, um, just to make sure people tune in, what are, what are we looking at on this card here? Uh, October 22nd, we got a killer kickboxing match. We're going to have Devin Flores out of Def war. He's one and oh, he's going to fight David Pierre Luisi out of, um, uh, well, we're going to leave that. Uh, I won't say where, but fighting David Pierre Luisi, who's one and one kickboxing one and oh MMA. That's going to be an absolute war. Uh, we got Argenis Castro, who lost his 135 title uh, on the last event in the co-main event. That was one of the fights of the night. Um, Argenis fought back, man. He definitely lost the first round, uh, most likely 10-8, if you think about the spinning back fist knockdown. But he came back and fought like a beast, man, for the next two rounds and lost a split decision. So he'll be back on the card. Uh, Keith Hart who got an award from Vigilant for being the first ever competitor to do all five styles of combat. He wow. has for us in boxing, kickboxing, MMA, combat jiu-jitsu, and Brazilian jiu-jitsu. Uh, he's going to do a Muay Thai kickboxing match as well. And uh, we're bringing in former bantamweight MMA champion Jake Spray. He's going to do a combat jiu-jitsu match as well. So uh, we're going to have some really, really good fights on there. I've got a couple more fights to announce and uh, finish locking in as well. Shout out to Jake Spray. Good buddy of mine. Oh, yeah, man. I, I love uh, the gunslinger. <laughs> Great kid. Um, yeah, man. Brandon, this was fun. Uh, I hope to be able to check out that event. Um, I'm going to check my calendar as soon as, uh, as soon as we're done here to see if uh, I can get over to that one. Uh, this was a great conversation. Loved having you on. Anything else you want to get off your chest before we part ways here? Uh, no, man. Just please make sure you guys head to the website, VigilantMMA.com. Come out and check out the next show. Every single fight is going to be a banger from top to bottom. It's also my birthday. We're going to be celebrating my birthday that night as well. And uh, that's Combat Quest 23. It's called The Cage Over the Stage. And uh, then we're going to close out the year November 19th down in Fort Myers at the Sydney Byrne Davis Art Center. I'm already about halfway done with that fight card, and that one is looking unbelievable as well. So we just try to keep getting better. We want each card to be a little bit better than the previous, and we want our run of show and our production to continue tightening the screws, crossing the T's, dotting the I's, and uh, chase that ever-elusive perfect event. Hell yeah, man. And that's the fighter's mentality there. Just uh, always improving. Um, the, the events have been great. I wish you much continued success with all of this. And um, I love everything. I love the mindset. Um, I, I love the dedication. And I love the fact that you really care about these fighters. Like You were able to bring up the backstories just talking about them here um, just from memory, which is super impressive, especially given all your knowledge of professional MMA 
uh, and boxing, I'm sure, and a, and a ton of other things that we didn't have a chance to get into today. But uh, let's have you back and, and get into some of those conversations, especially leading up to this event. And um, we'll hype it up for you. Absolutely, man. Absolutely, bro. Looking forward to it. And um, I appreciate your time. Make sure uh, you check your calendar because we want to have you there cage side uh, doing some judging for us. Hell yeah, man. It was a, it's so much fun doing the judging. It's, it's an experience. Um, for everybody else, make sure you check out Vigilant MMA. Follow them on Instagram. It's at Vigilant MMA, correct? Yes, sir. VigilantMMA.com. Instagram, Facebook. Do your due diligence, folks. And uh, follow this promotion if you want to see the uh, young and upcoming fighters that you might see in the UFC or elsewhere one day. Uh, and also, you're friends with Team Reaper. I'm friends with Team Reaper. And if you guys want to get some merchandise for MMA on the Rocks or support some local fighters, you can do so at reaper1.co. You can use the promo code MMARocks10. Save yourself 10% on your order, whether you're buying my merchandise or not. Um, save yourself 10%. Support some local fighters. Money goes right in the pockets of the fighters. So everybody always talking about how fighters should be making more money. Well, buy their T-shirts. Absolutely, man. Reaper's the only guy that does this. He gives the fighter 50%. 50%, man. And out of his 50%, he eats the cost of getting the merchandise, printing it, and shipping it out to the customer. So there's no better way for you to support a fighter that you're friends with or that you're you're a fan of than to go to reaper1.co and buy their merchandise because they are going to benefit directly financially. You're going to support their merchandise. Other people are going to see that and hopefully support them as well. So if you truly are a supporter of a fighter here locally, Morquez, Argenis, uh, David Pierluisi, Keith Hart, Devin Flores, any number of these guys, Jake Spray, I mean, there's champions up and down the board. Mm -hmm. Go buy their gear and support them, and you're going to be helping them financially, and you're going to be helping build their brand. Team Reaper and Vigilant MMA quietly taking over the state of Florida, or not so quietly. <laughs> all right, that's all we got for this week. Until next time, cheers, everybody. Goodbye. <laughs>